Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. Just a heads up for those who may be sensitive to the subject, or those who may be listening with young children. In this episode, Pastor Michelle discusses both the topic of consensual intimacy, as well as the topic of sexual assault and rape. So continuing in this wisdom series, today we're going to talk about the wisdom of consent. And last week I mentioned that we're going to talk about when consent is not granted as well as when it is there. And if you for any reason need to take your own space in light of that, please do. Um, I also didn't restrict kids being present because I think it's important for kids to hear about healthy relationships and what that means, but also do what you need to do for your family. So leading into that, let us hear now these words from Song of Solomon. This is from chapter 5. This is verses 2 to 7. I was sleeping, but my heart was awake. A sound, my love is knocking. Open for me, my sister, my dearest, my dove, my perfect one. My head is soaked with dew, my hair with the night mist. I have taken off my tunic, why should I put it on again? I have bathed my feet, why should I get them dirty? My love put his hand in through the latch hole and my body ached for him. I rose, I went to open for my love and my hands dripped myrrh, my fingers liquid myrrh. Over the handles of the lock. I went and opened for my love, but my love had turned, gone away. I nearly died when he turned away. I looked for him, but couldn't find him. I called out to him, but he didn't answer me. They found me, the guards who make their rounds in the city. They struck me, bruised me. They took my shawl away from me those guards of the city walls. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes that we might see and know the word you have for us this day. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So how would you like your beloved to describe you? Would you like your beloved to say, you are my dearest, you are my fairest. The sound of your voice is so sweet. You are utterly beautiful. You have not a single flaw. Or how about this? You have limbs like an orchard of pomegranates. Your hair is like a flock of goats. You have a stately form like a palm tree I would like to climb. Or your belly is a mound of winnowed wheat. Is that telling me I've got bread gut? What's what's going on there? (laughs) All of those are descriptions of the two beloveds back and forth to each other in the Song of Songs. And one of those, the one leading in is mostly done by the woman. The wheat and the goats is mostly done by the man. Um, (laughs) So one might arguably be a little more poetic, but... Both are freely expressing themselves honestly because the man is a farmer 
And these are images that are really meaningful and powerful to him and that he wants to express of this woman that he loves so much. And they both express back and forth this mutual desire. It is consensual. It is passionate. It is celebratory. There is emotional and physical joy between these two. And this love poem in in that expression is not unique to the ancient world, but it is striking because it is so mutual. Now, it is also pretty explicit. And because of that, a lot of people have asked, why is this book in our Bible exactly? Um, And especially because there is no direct reference to God. There are a couple of puns that seem to imply the name of God in it, including in 8.6 when there's discussion of a mighty flame, the, the Hebrew is halhebet yah, and yah on the end of there, and people say puns and kind of recalls the holy name of God, which is Yahweh. Um, but that's it. That's as close as you get to the name of God is in a couple of puns. And so uh, people all through time have struggled with what to do with this book, and oftentimes the approach to it is to make it a metaphorical expression of the relationship either between God and Israel or between Jesus and the church. Well, if that's the case, Jesus and the church are getting down, right? (laughs) But what is striking to me is that For some reason, we are resistant to the fact that this could just be a love poem. A full expression of love between two people. Why are we resistant? Well, first, let's reflect that there is, in fact, internal resistance to this love within the poem. Um, Especially the woman's expression of her own desires. She is beaten by sentinels for wandering out and seeking her love in the night. And her brothers threatened to wall her in to keep her contained by the end of the poem. And this is despite the fact that this man expresses a full commitment to her and despite the fact that she is taking precautions. I did my dissertation on infertility in the New Testament, so I know all of the kinds of things about birth control around um, the ancient world. And pomegranates and mandrakes were means of birth control in the ancient world. And they're both mentioned in this poem. So he loves her deeply. He is fully committed to her. She is taking all precautions. And yet she still faces violence at the hands of society and restrictions at the hands of her brothers. And that is captured here in this biblical document that we have. And it is important to acknowledge that in our documents are often both our possibilities and our problems. On this weekend, I'm reflecting on the possibilities and problems in the Declaration of Independence, particularly in its opening lines, where we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In that opening to that document are our possibilities. Because when they say all men, there is actually a meaning that it could be all people. Men stood in for mankind, stood in for humankind. So that all people are created equal, that possibility is there. And there is this communal desire to work together so that all might seek life and liberty and have a chance at happiness together, collectively, as a whole. 
But in that same document are also our problems because it is too often applied to just men. And we as a culture have put a heavy weight on the rights of the individual. There's great purpose in the rights of the individual, but when we lose sight of the fact that the rights of the individual are preserved for the good of the whole, if we neglect the communal reality, we miss so much of what is important in how we relate with one another. And that heavy weight on the individual seems to give permission to some people to say, well, my pursuit of happiness matters more than yours. My life matters more than yours. My liberty, my freedoms matter more than yours. And where does that get us? Well, RAIN, which is the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, tells us that every 68 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. That means during the course of this worship service, 53 people will be assaulted. And between now and the end of the second service, that's 159. That's more than are in this room right now. One in six women are raped or experience attempted rape. One in 10 rape victims are men. One in five transgender individuals will be raped or experience attempted rape. Native Americans are twice as likely to be raped as others. And 7% of our military experience sexual violence. The result in that is that there are so many who struggle with PTSD, sometimes very severe and debilitating. There is division in families, there are problems with work and school, and there is an increased likelihood of suicide. And I would add that it is difficult then, if not in some cases impossible, to find joy in intimate relationships. And we are all robbed of that. The decisions of one impact everyone who seeks to be in relationship with the one who was hurt. And the one who chose to enter is also unable to experience that joy fully as well. I will admit that I actually hope the statistics are that low. But the reality is so much of this goes unreported. And the telling moment for me was when I was a senior in high school, all the talk in the media at the time was dealing with this idea of date rape. And we were discussing, this was my journalism class, there were seven of us girls gathered around discussing whether we would do an article on date rape or not. And while we were discussing that, five of the seven of us told stories of intimate violence. Five of the seven. And the thing is, I knew the sixth girl had a story she wasn't sharing. Six of seven. What's happened to those girls since? Well, one of them is on her third marriage. And this third gentleman that she has married, they have agreed that they will have sex six times a year. That's it. And thank God they have created a partnership where they can have that kind of open discussion and come to that agreement. But how sad. How sad. I'm a sidebar here and tell um, folks whenever I um, am doing premarital counseling and I know someone in the, um, in the couple has experienced intimate violence, which is fairly common, actually, um, I will tell them to get a safe word. 
Because it's really hard to tell someone you love no, and yet there are all kinds of ways that trauma can be triggered. Um, it can be a sound, it can be a smell, it can be a turn of phrase, it can be emotion, it can just be. And so having a safe word keeps you from having to directly say no to someone you love, but can bring everything to a stop and can say without having to say it, I'm in trauma right now and I need, I need help. Another one of those six girls is your pastor. And she stands in front of you today. And your pastor, whose marriage fell apart after her second attack. And I will share with you that those things that they tell you can happen, PTSD, all of that, it's true. Do you know why I have goldfish? I have goldfish because in the midst of dealing with that second trauma, and I was living by myself, I needed something alive depended on me so that I didn't jump off my balcony. It's real. It's painful. And all of us suffer the effects of one attack. It's not an individual issue, though it plays out on the bodies of individuals. So we have a duty to support healthy and consensual relationships, to talk about it with our children, to encourage that kind of shared joy in one another and to recognize the need for safe spaces and intimacy, to rise past our problems and see our possibilities. There is one more question though, is that what God wants for us? It is no accident that this book is in here. It is no accident. This, my friends, is a return to the garden. Let's remember that first garden, Eden, where we were created in mutuality. I'm going to blow your minds on something here. You know that word, uh, God took a rib from Adam to create the woman. Do you know that's the only time that the Hebrew word is translated as rib? It actually means God took half of the human. Half. We were created in equality. We were created in mutuality. We were created to be each other's halves. And then when we engaged in an act of selfishness, of self-centeredness that was focused on us, there was a result, and the, one of the results was broken desire to Sukanto. That word for desire in Hebrew shows up three times in the Hebrew Bible. One is in this moment, at the other side of taking of the fruit, when God says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. The result of the choices of selfishness broke the mutuality, broke the equality. It shows up in the next chapter when God is trying to warn Cain about the murder he is about to commit. He says, sin is desiring you. You need to rule over it. And then the only other place that word shows up is in Song of Songs. When the woman says, I am my beloved's, his desire is for me. The man desires the woman. That is a healing of that brokenness. And I will affirm that it is a healing because at another point, 
The woman says, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. It is equal. It is even. It is mutual. And it all takes place in a garden. It's only when they're in the city that they have trouble. It all takes place, yeah. When there's other people around, they mess it up, right? And that says for me that God is trying to get us back to the garden. That's the whole project here. You know, Revelation ends in the garden too. God is trying to get us back to the garden. God is trying to get us back to that place of mutuality. God is trying to get us back to that place where we are helpers of one another, where we are equals of one another, where we can celebrate and revel in our flock of goat hair. And climb each other's towers. God is trying to get us to a place where we know our beloved. And where we know ourselves beloved. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at fumcbentonville.org or on Venmo at fumcbentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example for radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.